Hey, it's Greg. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast for July 19th. It's a Tuesday and a hot weather day as well. So it's one of those things where we're emphasizing the weather a fair bit and uh, chatting with a few guests about it. Brad Bradford from Toronto City Council will join us. And we'll also get into the idea that the vaccines for under fives in the United States, under 2%, under 2% of parents have decided to inject their under fives with uh, either the Moderna or Pfizer vaccine. Why is that? What's the influence that'll have here in Toronto and across Canada as well? I'll give you my thoughts on that. It's all coming up next. Toronto Today begins now. You can tell the heat's going to be a major topic today. Major, major topic. I don't I don't think this is one of those one-story mornings per se, uh, but it's going to impact most things that we do today, most things that we talk about. And uh, is there an end in sight? Of course. There's always an end in sight, but these next two days are going to be brutal to get through. And uh, air conditioning, major, major thing as well. Um, who has it and who doesn't? A couple people listened yesterday, uh, I, hopefully more than a couple, and they were shocked by that number in the UK. 3% of homes are air conditioned. 3%. And so naturally you get the question, well, you know, localize that for me, right? Journalism school, lead local, localize the lead, Greg. And uh, and the concept was what what percentage of Canadian homes have air conditioning? And the latest statistic goes back to 2017, and uh, that number is 60 percent. Now that's air conditioning. That 42 percent have central air. 18 percent have standalone air conditioning. I remember moving into an apartment with uh, an ex girlfriend. Um, we lived in an apartment building and then we moved into the upper floor of a house. We lived together two years. It, it didn't work out. Uh, I kept the cat. She kept all the, um, you know, uh, all the mellower CDs. It's just how it worked out. Okay. Um, she loves big power ballad fan. So, but when we lived together, we had to buy one of those air conditioning, air conditioner window units. We had to, we, we, that's what we needed. And that thing was so loud, but it made such a difference. Saved our lives. With, and that's hot. That's hot in the summer of 95. I'm 23 years old. That's hot in the summer of 95. And we needed the, you know, what, 600, probably a $600 unit back then, maybe $500 unit. It didn't feel like it broke our bank, but we're like, oh, it's money you got to spend. And uh, 3% in the UK uh, air conditioning because they never needed it. They've never needed it. They had a big heat wave in 2003. Things settled down a little bit. But this is the future. And not unlike, as I transition to what I want to talk about this segment, not unlike the whole kind of how do we live with COVID-19? How do we normalize existence with COVID-19? There's elements of our global warming that aren't reversible, that, that we can't get back. That doesn't mean give up. Same as precautions for, you know, the elderly and the immunocompromised, all that stuff. Offer vaccines to people. Sure, do this. Give them choices, all that. Never going to hear me complain about choice. But when it comes to the climate, we're also looking at that scenario and going, oh, boy, there's like, why will it why will it be cooler in 10 years than now? What do you think it's going to do? Get cooler, maintain and never change again or be much hotter a decade from now? So what do we do? What do we do? I mean, in uh, in countries in the Middle East, they're starting to air condition the outside. Do you remember um, they moved the World Cup to November, right? Big uh, big tournament, right? Transcend Sports FIFA World Cup. It's in November. Why? It's 44 degrees Celsius today, not even counting the Humidex in Doha, Qatar, where the World Cup is. And they didn't even move it at the start. People were like, what are you doing? That's a summer tournament. You can't put that in the Middle East. And they did it. Money talks, right? Money talks, money walks, all that stuff. Money never sleeps, blah, blah, blah. But but the fact that it's there in November, it's like, oh, don't worry. It'll be a paltry 34 with 41 on the humidity. This probably be a day like today in Toronto in November when they're playing games there. So 60% of Canadians have air conditioning today. All I can tell you is look out for the other 40%. Let me shift to this really quick. And speaking of uh, numbers, the numbers are kind of, I think they're in. I think you can make a judgment on this after a month and two days about COVID-19 vaccines for kids under five. This is about the now. This isn't about COVID a year ago or a year and a half ago. 
Uh, Health Canada obviously wants to put the, the Moderna vaccine in front of parents who have kids under five. And I would get it. I meaning I would understand it if uh, you're a parent and your kid has some kind of health issue, some kind of comorbidity, some kind of immunocomp. I, I understand if your kid does not deal well with regular, typical kid illness. And it's hard to tell what's what anymore, because if your kid is under five, this whole thing started and they were two or three or even younger. But um, I think after a month, you can kind of judge um, economies of scale. You can judge a new restaurant. Are people going there? Well, it's only been open five weeks. No, I know, but that's when it should be really busy. Okay? Like, have you checked it out yet? Have you checked out that new place? What about when a movie debuts? Or a, or a play? Anybody hear about that play? Sting was in town for like five months with a play called The Last Ship. Anybody seen it? Well, you'd know in the first four or five weeks if it was doing well through word of mouth, let alone the data itself. So here's data. Here's data for the uh, uptake of the vaccine in the uh, vaccine options in the United States for kids under five. And it's been about, yeah, 32, 33 days now. As of this moment, as of this moment, the percentage of parents in the United States with kids under the age of five that have decided to inject their toddlers and babies, because that's, that's what they are, toddlers and babies. I don't know when the line gets crossed, but those are the cat. That's what the categories. Okay. If you're under five and the pandemic started when they were under three, in case anyone's wondering, it's 1.8%. I was shocked. I was shocked. I, and now I don't, I don't expect it to even flirt with 15%. And we talked about that when the, the vaccine came out. Like, I think most parents will either recognize the lack thereof of harm uh, to kids under five with COVID. I think they would recognize that the vaccines currently now, as they stand, even in a smaller dosage, won't reduce infection or spread. We hope they would. They didn't. They were early on. Omicron changed all the games, all the rules, and pretty much the vast majority of my opinions. Um, but under 2%. I couldn't believe it when I saw that uh, yesterday. Now, um, I want the vaccines on the market and I want there to be choice. And I know good people who I trust, who aren't even necessarily in the public eye, who say, I would give it to my four-year-old. I would give it to my two-year-old. You don't have to be that person, but you don't have to criticize their decision. You don't. Here's And, and I agree with a couple people I saw write about this yesterday saying, um, I don't judge parents who give their kids the vaccine. There's probably a reason behind it. There's probably an underlying condition or a concern or some kind of family history, okay? You're not a monster if you've given your three-year-old a vaccine. But that number is stark to me. I, I would have I bet my hands that we were made after a month that we were over five, that that was over 5%. So I'd ask you, at text line 289-975-1640, 289-975-1640. If you think Canada is going to be any different, why would we be? Are we a little more panicked? Are we a little more alarmed? Are we a little more, um, you know, vaccine? For we sure were last summer. We sure were patting ourselves on the back. Look at the United States vaccine rates. They had it before us and we've already, we just soared past them with um, efficacy and, uh, excuse me, and uptake. And we were willing to go and get that second shot. We were willing to go get boosted in December. And a lot has changed since November and December of this year. By the way, a few parents also noting, and I mentioned the heat earlier on, I don't judge you uh, getting your toddler a vaccine. If you've got yet that kid outside today in a 42, deg in a 42 degree Humidex and you got that three-year-old in, in a KN95 mask, I'll judge you. I, I, I will. I can't say anything. I don't I don't walk up to parents to go, hey, you're doing this wrong because I wouldn't like it if they did that to me. But no, I, I, I'm judging you. Let me let me make absolutely sure that 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 you understand that that's the case. But the vaccine may be a little bit different. And don't get me wrong. Want this to be available. Want parents to be able to choose to get this or to not to. But do we expect Canadian parents to do exactly this also and almost universally reject it? They don't like the idea of it. Clearly, under 2%. That's not fully vaccinated. They've only had time to get the one shot in five weeks. If you're wondering something to uh, take away from the table with, 
statistic-wise, uh, where we are in Ontario is 5 to 11s, fully vaccinated, because you've had the option now since, what, late November? You've had eight months to get your kid fully vaccinated. That's 22%. That's about what I thought. Might be just under one in four. It was never going to be one in three. That's 5 to 11. And that, would, to me, there's three reasons. Three clear reasons. There's no mandate. No one's forcing you to do it. We were forcing parents, in essence, to do it in the fall. You want to play sports. You want to play high school sports. You want to be able to go on a school trip. You want to be able to work part-time. You want to be able to go to a movie. You want to go to a restaurant. You get this. You get these two shots. You do this. I mean, that's the truth. That's what we did. And uh, partially vaccinated 5 to 11-year-olds in Ontario is 32.3%. Fully vaccinated is 22. It ain't climbing much higher than that. It's not climbing much higher than that because of all the things I just mentioned. Um, the uh, the need to play indoor soccer, to play hockey, to go here, to go there, was a massive, massive factor last year at this time. We got a text yesterday on the show. It wasn't the only one, uh, but it's the one that jumped out to me about people commenting on the Union Station shooting. And to reset that, if you just happen to have a long weekend or didn't check out the show yesterday or are just unaware, there was a shooting in uh, that area um, around 7.30 or so. Jay's game's letting out. There's concerts going on. People getting downtown for doing what they do on a Saturday night. And it's beautiful weather. Um, guy writes, my son was caught in the Union Station situation. Lucky he didn't text me until he was home. So I didn't have time to worry. He had to spend $100 on an Uber because the GO trains were not running. So I'm guessing um, the son lives pretty far out. Uh, not a big deal in the scheme of things. Just one ripple effect. And the, the texter, and thank you very much for the text. You can always text the show, 289-975-1640. But to say that, we talked on the show yesterday, Sheba and I did, about, about that sort of trauma. And you don't have to be shot. and You don't have to know somebody who's shot. But seeing people running with guns through Union Station or, or you know, uh, in essence, uh, Maple Leaf Square, that area outside where the big screen is, where you could walk up Bremner and go to the Dome. We all know that area really, really well. We know where we like to have a beer. We know where we like to meet somebody if we're going to a concert or a game. We know those places. And, uh, and, I th- and we talked about the parade as well. In 2019 with the Raptors, we talked about the Eaton Center shooting 10 summers ago with 14 people shot by one man. And I don't think those are things you unsee terribly um, easily. And I I've just been lucky in that I there's been nothing. I've never witnessed a, an awful car accident. I've never witnessed a ship. But there were people that went to the uh, Raptors parade in 2019 who remember it really well and remember that sense of panic. So. I find it a little difficult to believe that it was as orderly as some are suggesting. Hey, please leave Union Station now. Nothing to see here. Just leave. Get out of Union Station. And everybody does it uh, in single. It's not a fire drill in fifth grade. That's not how that's going to work. If you hear gunshots, if you see cops running through Union Station, if you see a guy with a gun, you're in you're in a bit of panic. And there's a little bit of after effect of trauma, not just for a day or two. How could there not be so? This is a really interesting thing we were talking about after the show. Can playing video games, specifically one, prevent that kind of trauma from sort of taking over your brain a little bit? And maybe the answer will surprise you. Uh, At uh, TMU, a professor of video games joins us now, Dr. Christopher Alexander. It's a great pleasure to have you on Toronto today. uh, And thanks for making time to talk about this topic. Thanks for having me, Greg Brady. Thanks for having me. Big fan. 100%. It was great. To, it's great to have you on. So Tetris, uh, which is sort of, I'm not going to say I missed my generation, but for, for people who, I'm in my late 40s, for people in their early 40s, late 30s, this was the game. And there have been studies that say playing Tetris can prevent any kind of trauma, uh, abuse, a shooting event, like a car accident, anything like this. And tell us a little bit about why that's the case, Christopher. Wonderful. So it was a 2017 study and it found that playing Tetris and similar logic based games, uh, puzzle games and the like, could reduce the amount of intrusive thoughts. That is how the mind starts to fixate on particular things, in particular trauma, Uh, especially when interventions playing Tetris and logic based puzzle games happen within 24 hours Mm -hmm. and further. So it's an interesting thing that it's like, wait a second. As we're going through this traumatic experience, is there a way for us to sort of break up that over 
overextending loop in our heads about the trauma that just occurred. So that's that's part of that study there. And it looks like a lot of the study, as I mentioned, you know, car accidents and and uh, and things like that. It, it looks like it, it really focused in on that particular trauma after, you know, even, even being rear ended or a car flipping or having an injury from a car accident. It looks like getting Tetris in front of these people very soon after these accidents was a major factor and a positive one. Yeah. So one of the things that the study talks about is what's called the Zagarnik effect. And it's the brain's natural tendency to remember unfinished tasks more than finished ones. So the idea of Tetris being a block based, randomized to some extent game means that you'd rather be fixated on something that's unfinished. Like, hey, when am I going to get my next line in Tetris versus, oh, man, this thing happened. So that's part of why in the first 24 hours when we're starting to break up the fixation on the trauma we start to alleviate maybe some of that sticking power it's it's so fascinating that that's the case and uh it, it's just i think it's something a lot of our listeners would be absolutely surprised by but at the same time it starts to make a little bit of sense especially if you get if you get to these victims of potential ptsd early as opposed to letting it fester for six months a year and beyond brilliant it also talks about people who played for an hour and a half a week for three months and how it actually changed their brain structure versus other games like uh, uh, Candy Crush if you're playing for longer periods of time, but only at an hour and a half a week for three months in this particular study. So what is it about? What do you think it is about the game itself? It's just got that sort of monotony to it, but that sort of addictive monotony to it, doesn't it? Well, in terms of monotony, I would yeah, say maybe yes I don't say no, that totally negatively because there's a rhythm yeah. to it, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's about an unfinished task. It, it's about dealing with life as it comes. It's about sort of reconstructing the mind, be like, wait a second, I'm not actually sure what's going to come next. Let me keep thinking about that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think the exciting part about that is, wait a second, what other games? There's a game called uh, Unpacking. That's a casual game that's actually just about unpacking. And many users report it's nice and soothing. There's another one called Dorf Romantique, which is a relaxing strategy city builder game where you're like, rearranging landscapes but it's very calm very zen like so these types of games help us move into starting to reconstruct the way that we think about things and sometimes life itself it's funny you say that we're talking to dr christopher alexander professor of video games at tmu and i want to talk about your experience with tetris too but my son started playing the sims like ages ago right like a, like about eight nine years ago we wanted to make sure he was old enough uh to play it but it's got so many complexities to it but boy do you get into that game in a hurry minecraft there's parents we're out of that zone now but parents of younger kids eight and nine are like my kid plays minecraft two hours a day but it helps his critical thinking and long-term planning and i'm like okay i believe it i've seen it in my own house it's brilliant because when we're talking about those kinds of games particularly minecraft it's it's important to spe specifically detail what it is we're doing because we could be creating, we could be building, we could be chatting with friends, we could be imagining imagined worlds inside of the imagined space and extending storylines in that way. So that's incredible, those two scenarios that you gave, because it sounds like a positive influence. Is this just about kids or would this work for adults as well? Uh, it works for grownups, uh, myself included. So, yeah, it's about uh, maintaining that ability to believe that maintaining that ability to play, maintaining the ability for that malleability to think about, oh, possibility and extend beyond, in some cases, the real world to extend the brain into these digital worlds to help us reconstruct how we see things in the in the physical world. So tell us about your experience in high school with Tetris uh, high school. This is what I always think about high school, Chris. And I wonder if, if you agree. It just it feels like it goes on forever. Week a week can feel like a month. A month can feel like like six months. And when we get to be adults, we can't believe how fast time moves. But I'm always conscious of that with my own kids and other kids as well, that it, however they feel that day, one thing, right? A breakup with a girlfriend, a bad test, whatever. It can feel like the worst day of their life. And I, I try not to talk them out of that. I try to listen because we all felt that way at different times. Yeah. So um, in high school, it actually went pretty quickly for me. It didn't seem like, it was, well, of course, because I had <laughs> video games, but in particular, uh, we were playing a lot of Tetris. And in some ways it helped evade bullying because we were just so fixated on the game and yelling and screaming that people just would just look at us like, ah, these guys are enjoying themselves. We're just going to leave them alone. So Tetris and the organizational structure ended up helping me in the way that I structured my essays, my even my thinking. I would always be thinking in that block like manner, like, OK, I'm going to have to put this here because once I do that, then it's this. It's, it's basic logical thinking within the context of high school. And I'm seeing that now as, oh, my gosh, 
this is probably where all this stuff came from. And and how bad, like like the bullying itself, would you look and go, this is something that I, I, I just was able to, it, it was a big, big help in terms of passing it off. Like, I, I don't know how bad it was for you, man. Well, it was, it was a pretty big shield. Like, uh, mm. if I were to be approached while playing a game, I would simply turn and say, hey, I'm playing this game, right? And in some scenarios, it'd be like, all right, well, uh, I'll play you. And then if you could beat a bully in a video game, they, it, it really changes the dynamics. So, so yeah, that's, that's a little bit of my experience there. It's, uh, it subs for the whatever the weightlifting room was in the 70s and 80s, uh, as, as, like how much you can bench and, and uh, try and hang with these bigger kids that are built like refrigerators. Uh, it's an interesting chat today. I hope we get to chat again about similar topics, uh, Dr. Alexander. Thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me, Greg Brady. You take good care. I will. Dr. Christopher Alexander, professor of video games at TMU, the job we all aspire to, believe me. My name's Greg Brady. Uh, Gord Rennie is with us, and we welcome in uh, Sheba Siddiqui, who uh, I've got great envy for. Uh, a, um, she's going on vacation again next week. Gord and I were uh, buzzing about your vacation time, and we want we want your agent. Yes. Just, I'm going to be, I'm, hey, I'm my, you're talking to her. <laughs> You're talking to her. I'm okay, we'll take to... you. We'll take you on. What, what's your commission? Uh, I don't know. I'll have to get back to you on that. Depends on. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Um, no, yeah, we we are going away. We're going into the middle of the heat of Europe, so it's making me a little nervous. But from what I'm reading, what's going on there? It's got. Have um, you looked at? Have you looked at long range forecasts? You must have a little bit poked ahead seven, ten days from now. Like uh, I have. I mean, well, right now I'm reading that it's, it's you know around thirty eight to forty degrees there, and they keep saying, and it's only going to get worse, and it's only going to get worse. Huh. So, um, I and, but I, I was going to say the envy is also you were uh, you've been doing um, some camp driving, and I miss those days. I miss the I miss their experience of camp. The one the one summer I really remember it was 2012. My wife was at the London Olympics, so she was gone three weeks my kids were six and four and you would take them to the toronto uh zoo you would like somebody would take them in the morning because i'd be yeah, you wouldn't take them you like, i would pick would them, them up i would pick okay. them up because I, I gotta go somewhere early in the morning uh back then in, in 2012 and do another show so uh but i would end up having the day to myself to nap get stuff done around the house lays around yes there was some of that it's the middle of the summer but then i'd get to pick them at four and i'd get them at the zoo or i'd get them at um, camp where they uh, were making a rocket ship. My son was into acting, so they would make a. There was like a movie camp for a week. I just miss oh, it. Fun. I miss that stuff. And you're, uh, you and your husband are going a few different directions, dropping this kid at that camp and this kid at that camp. But I envy it. We missed, and and not even overnight, just the day camps. I miss that era. I really do. I, you know what? I'm not taking it for granted, especially because you know what's happened the last two and a half years. I think that, but summer of 2020, there was nothing. Yeah. So we were just home staring at each other, trying to make, you know, life as fun as possible for everybody uh, in the midst of the chaos. So, yeah, I don't take it for granted. As a, uh, But there are, I mean, I have to do, I, I, I myself personally am being affected as well with all these staff shortages. Uh, and my heart goes out to these camps and these these organizations because they're just trying to run some great camps after so many years. And it's not easy. And it's not easy. And then the next thing you know, you know, a counselor calls in sick and then that just messes up the day for them and somebody's got to replace them. They got, it's just a lot of shuffling around, a lot of location changes. My kid's camp location got changed on Saturday, uh, at the very last minute because of staff shortages. So it's tough out there, but my kids are loving it. And that's all that matters. Is there any desire from them to be like, send me away for the whole summer, like eight weeks? Could you do it? Do they want it? Like, cause those three summers I spent away at 15, 16, and seven. For eight uh, weeks? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. The first summer they sent me for three weeks. So, like, let's, we got to get you out of the house. You're 15. You don't have your license yet. You need to be driven everywhere. You don't want to be here. So, let's figure out a solution. And they, they kind of forced, my parents didn't force me to do much, but that was one thing. They're like, you're going. So, you pick the camp and, and you, you pack and you decide where you want to go. But then the next, I loved wow. it so much. I went back as staff in training and then as staff the next year. And, and just it, but it got me, so much it matured me so much it got yes. me so ready to live on my own for university a year later like oh and i missed that it window did, with my yeah. teenage boys to be able to do this for them and i well, can't know they can still now. go away can't they i mean I guess, you're at their age you were you were away i guess they could the one could do like a staff and training thing next year yes like count, just, cit counselor and training or whatever uh, and then called. and then be a counselor probably when he's 17 but i that's gonna take a lot of i think i needed to sort of inject do, do your kids think I could go. I could do it for six weeks, eight weeks. That no. period of time. 
No, oh my just what would I do without my kids I, for eight weeks, six weeks? Well, you no, can have two I of them send send them. your favorite send your least favorite two away and keep your favorite two. <laughs> people do that with friends all the time. They're like, let's have these people over, but not those people. That's true. No, I don't know. I think you know, I do see the benefit in going away. I have a friend who sent her kids, her daughter, six for six weeks this summer and uh, and so and then her other two kids are away for three weeks. So she's I'm like, Well, what are you gonna do while they're gone? She's like, I booked a trip to Paris. I'm out. So she's going to be enjoying herself. But uh, I think it does mature them. They're just the way she describes what happens to them. I think next summer we will send them, but not for six weeks. I can't. No, I love Test it out. Yeah, I, I know. Test them. it out for uh, for a couple of weeks. Now, you saw this um, story about the Toronto police. Uh, and we talked about this <sighs> yesterday with a couple of guests even about how we how we get back on this. How does the community and I, I think specifically the black community, given they're the ones that, that deserved and got the apology from Police Chief yeah. James Raymer a month ago. How do you build trust? How can you get back in the room? How do you earn something back when you've clearly broken it on multiple occasions? Um, but you're not sure this is the this story you saw. You're not sure this is the way that's going to work. Okay, so they've decided to, I guess, I don't know, give us a peek behind the curtain. TPS, Toronto Police Services, mm -hmm. and um, they've sat down. They had an officer sit down with um, former crime reporter Tamara Cherry. Uh, this is all virtual, okay, it's over Zoom, and he's trying to have a conversation and make it really light and fun, and I guess they want to let people know the other side of a police officer, and this has nothing to do with this police officer, but I think he's just, you know, sort of being told, you know, you're going to be having some conversations with Tamara, and here's what how it starts. But you told me before we started recording that you could, like, show me some moves, moves. and... I want to see some moves. I want to see what you can do. I love this. Absolutely. Yes. So, let's go. Right. He's salsa dancing. I'll do it from the seated position. So this is what's happening right now. He's salsa dancing on the camera as a in uniform. TPS. In uniform. In a cop uniform. Yes. Yeah, he's not. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I. Well, guess I don't know what more people want. I mean, that 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 this shows awesome. you that they're people too, and they like salsa dancing. Uh, Gordon and I salsa dance dancing breaks all the time. Oh, yeah. This guy could join the village people with the with the oh. construction worker and the motorcyclist. I think this is tone deaf. <laughs> There's a cop in there. <laughs> That's what I mean. Oh, yeah. It's tone I think this is yeah. I think this is tone deaf. This is tone, we don't want to see you salsa dancing. I understand that you want us to get to know you better in a different way. You know, you don't want to. We don't, especially with what the black community has been through. Uh, we, I think this is insulting. To be honest with you, we don't want to see you. And this is not against the cop. This police officer, he's very friendly. He looks very nice. I think he's trying to get people to, you know, he's trying to show a different side of the police service. This is not the way to go about it. We don't want to see you salsa dancing on camera. We don't care to see that. I wonder if that was just so spontaneous. That feels like it was so spontaneous. Like Tamara doesn't know he's about to start doing this because then he's inviting but her to dance with him. And it's a Zoom thing. And it's like no one starts dancing when we have Zoom meetings. No one does. But if you had just apologized a month ago to I the black community... Uh, for all of these things that your police service has done, don't salsa dance. Yeah, don't salsa dance. There is that. Um, we talked about uh, had the heat today is going to be a massive, massive thing. You have a pool. I have a pool. Really lucky to have pools. Of course, we are. Um, but I had this concept last summer, and it was kind of as people were getting vaccinated and we're like, we're going to emerge, we're going to reduce our level of danger and all that stuff. I noticed a website called Swimply, and it's a little bit like. An is it Airbnb. Swimply or Swimply? <laughs> could be. It could be Swimply. Swim, oh, Swimply. Swimply! Like, like. Uh, yeah. Okay, Swimply. Yeah. Like, like the band Swimply Red, Gord. Right. Oh, hold holding on. back the ears. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Um, okay, let's call it Swimply. I, Chiba, I think you nailed it. Um, I would love to do this. I got this. Got nixed last summer, but on a day like this, to be able to go not in a public, to have your own space, not a crowded public pool. To be able to go to a place, use the pool for a little... What's the worst thing that... Well, I know the worst things that could happen with little kids. I do. Um, yeah, exactly. Would you do this? Would you ever... Never. Why? No. For that reason, you have... Like, what about liability issues if someone drowns in your pool? They must have to sign something. There must be yeah, an agreement. It's the same thing as an Airbnb. Okay. If I fall down the stairs at an Airbnb or a Verbo, I can't, I can't go, okay. hey, where's my $8 million? Signing, no. I, I'm no, paralyzed. No. Signing something is the least of my concerns. Knowing that my pool was responsible in some way for somebody's death, I don't want that. I don't want that on my, I don't want to look at my pool and think of that 
incident every day for the rest of my life. But what are I the just, odds? And then people would never have anybody over ever. Oh, but anything. it happens. No, because I'm around when you're around. If I'm just, if I'm out and some strangers come into my backyard to use my pool, uh, then I, I just, it makes me uncomfortable. No, for that solely for the reason. Well, yeah, maybe peeing in my pool might be weird, but whatever. That's what the chlorine's for. But <laughs> that something could happen. Take something note, Gordon. Happen to, well, there's no bathroom either, right? What That's the problem. I know. Back door open. I, I know. I've right. saw. I saw one listing, and it was like like a private. Somebody has built sort of a private outdoor bathroom, and they have a big yard. And I'm like, okay, problem solved. But to come in and out of the house, right? But I can handle that. If you're paying, you get to come in and out with uh, with wet feet and. Like maybe my kids could bring them, you know, Diet Cokes with ice and they'd get tips and all that. Like we'd, we'd make it into a real Club Tropicana. We would make that. No, we are a tropical I'm, oasis in the middle of okay, Ajax. So, so you're going to have like a family. Let's say they bring everybody they know. You're going to have like 20 the Bra- people. The Bradleys come, come over. I want the Bradleys over for a swim later today at, the, at 80 the bucks an hour. The Bradleys and the cousins and the aunts and the oh, uncles, yeah. all of them using your bathroom. Well, I hear brief stories about some of Dave's cousins and aunts, so <laughs> I don't. Dave, would you ever rent somebody else's pool? Uh, you know what? We actually looked at it uh, during the pandemic. We, we go. thought about it, but uh, the price was just a little bit too high. Yeah, so I can work with you on this. Um, we can? All right, I cool. can. Listen, like, if Shiva is going <laughs> to handle $60 Gord, an hour. I, I, like so my, I, don't think, I, I don't think that's that bad. Because think about it, when you use like a public pool, you're paying, let's say, I don't know. I think it's $5. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, you probably I are. But like, for me, that's like that's thirty bucks right there for the six of us, right? If we were, so, I think for just thirty bucks more to have my own pool on my own time without the crowd. But then the only concern there is you don't get the lifeguard. You don't. No, you are kind of responsible. There's one listing on here. I'm gonna give it credit. Um, it's on Swimply. Babies and dogs welcome. And there's a picture of this big shaggy dog swimming in the pool. Like that oh. would be another thing. You'd be like, like you'd get home from how many dogs were in the pool today? Like. <laughs> Just the one or five over the span of a seven-hour rental period. The old filter would be clogged. It's, yeah. <laughs> hairy, hairy guys are one thing. Um, you know that all that stuff on the back and shoulders, but the dog. It's a this this picture is and it's only forty-five bucks an hour. They probably charge less because they allow dogs. I think that factors in for the future customers. Uh, city council meeting yesterday got going and uh, quite significant. Um, is uh, are a few things on the agenda, and joining us to discuss is Toronto City Councilor from Beaches East York. He is Brad Bradford. It is great to have you on Toronto today. It always is. Thanks for making the time. How's your summer going? That's pretty good. You're right. Things are heating up this morning uh, oh. out on the bike. It's a beautiful start to the day, and looking ahead to the council agenda, we got 443 items to work through. This is the last one of the term, so everybody's uh, fired up, ready to go, and uh, get down to work. You don't feel like uh, like like we did in university around mid March, and you're like those exams in April. I really need to get cracking on those on those things and being ready. Like like th- that. This is not an unusual amount to try and get in, and some of these are a simple rubber stamp, but some of these are going to take a lot of debate today, and and there's going to be a lot of divergence of opinion. Yeah, and that's that's what it's all about. Local government here at the City of Toronto, it's your most accessible level of government. Folks can come down into the chamber, they can check it out, they can tune into the live stream. Not that a lot of folks are doing that. I recognize <laughs> it. That's why we're talking about it here. Uh, but there is a lot of issues to cover from affordable housing to mm. climate change to transportation, all that stuff. We do it for you at City Hall. So you know, it's a good job. It's rewarding work but lots of work to do. I think sometimes we don't talk. I, I want to, you know, wind the clocks back a little bit to July one and that weekend. And I, I think we don't talk about the wind sometimes enough. People say, ah, the media, they like bad news, this and that. But um, when we, you and I talked after uh, Victoria day weekend, when there was a lot of mayhem, uh, it, you know, on, on the Sunday of Victoria day weekend, I look at that Friday night of Canada day, Brad, and I'm like, this was a win. Like Toronto was awesome. Your your celebrations in Woodbine Beach were awesome. It, it it went really, really well. It was a wonderful weekend to be Canadian. It was a wonderful weekend to be in Toronto. And I hope it got enough uh, attention. Well, you know, appreciate you flagging that. It, it's exactly right. Victoria Day uh, was a little touch and go. We all saw the, the video footage of the fireworks and people shooting fireworks at each other. All the chaos that took place there. But we circled back. We got together as all the sort of different divisions, our park staff, our waste staff, bylaw, and most importantly, Toronto police were there, partners at the table. We were much more prepared. Mm-hmm. And people, by and large, had a really enjoyable Canada Day weekend. Uh, there are hundreds of events across the city this summer. You know, we just did 
Indy last weekend. We've got CNE coming up. There's more and more and more on the agenda. And I think after two years of kind of being locked down and staying at home for the most part, Torontonians are excited to be back. Uh, and fully enjoy summer, and we're here to help support that. Yeah, we were just talking yesterday about the Woodbine, uh, the the jazz festival, and what a big event that is. How that had to go virtual, and that's you know they, they had to, the Beaches Jazz Festival. They had to make that work, uh, but that's the last thing on the planet you want to be uh, virtual because it's it's very inter- interactive up and down the streets, the Woodbine main stage. Like it's a big deal, and people come out for it. It's funny, a lot of folks did tune into that online. And I remember the past two years sort of walking around the community and shooting all these little intro videos to tee up the artists, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely not the same. Nobody wants to see me on Zoom. Uh, They want to see the artists. They want to be on Queen Street. They want to be supporting local businesses. And so Thursday night, that kicks off in our traditional fashion on Queen Street. You're right, Greg, we had to make some changes, balancing Cafe TO and all this stuff that's going on on our main streets, but the plan looks great. It's going to be packed. We've got artists from around the world and folks are uh, teeing up to get outside, enjoy hopefully some dry weather, uh, but certainly some amazing music and we'll be ready to go either way. Brad Bradford's our guest on Toronto today. Um, We were talking about inflation yesterday and we're going to see some pretty key numbers uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, uh, for for Canada's inflation rate um, in the U.S. It's obviously higher than was predicted um, by the central banks, but I think it affects different demographics differently. Clearly it affects homeowners. Clearly if you've got a, uh, a car lease or two uh, in the, in the driveway, it affects you, but it does affect younger people. And and it's not just younger people that are renters, Brad. And I know though, I, I feel like your, uh, your, your area, your ward is a lot more homeowners than renters. There's renters everywhere. And there's great debate about what landlords should or shouldn't be able to do. They're people too. They have costs also rising costs for them often mean rising costs for tenants but we've got to find a way to get this right and find some kind of happy medium don't we well affordability is the biggest thing on everybody's mind and you can't uh you know walk to an intersection where you see the price at the pumps or you go into the grocery store or even go to mcdonald's you know prices are going up and up and up and that hits people in the pocketbooks so it's an acute crisis we're all fully aware of it And, you know, typically government is sort of slower to respond to some of these things. Our challenges at the city are such that we have very limited revenue tools to address these costs. When it comes to housing, you're going to see that in the cost of construction materials, in the cost of labor, uh, in the cost of financing, in the cost of your mortgage. All of that goes up. And, you know, half the city rents here in Toronto. We are a rental city. We have a lot of those units across across the city and those prices are continuing to go up. I would say, Greg, it's compounded by the fact that we have less than 1% rental vacancy in the city of Toronto. For those, So the competition for those units, when they become available, is very, very high. And that escalates and puts pressure on the price of rental housing in Toronto. And, you know, as, as, a, as a younger guy, you know, I'm 35 myself, I think about the future sustainability of the city is based on the fact that people can afford to live here. And as we get further and further away from that, you know, our future success and prosperity of a Toronto, uh, you know, is in jeopardy. It's hard to picture our kids that and that's the, I, I think it's one thing we all are, you know, accountable, responsible for our own financial future. Of course, we are. But what you worry about is, can my kids afford to live here? Can my kids afford to stay in the community they grew up in if they so choose? Or will it just be too expensive? And, and we don't want to see some great flight of a younger. De- There's already enough younger parents with younger kids that say, Downtown's too affordable. I, I'm headed out as far as I can to find affordability to the suburbs. And that's not ideal. That's not that's not a city where where there's growth. We see it in our workforce and you see it in the, the labor challenges at City Hall, folks moving out of this city, moving to other municipalities. But frankly, you know, uh, often they pay more. The cost of living's lower. You, you might have access to more space and it might be more conducive to raising a family. And, and we need to protect that livability that affordability, we need to fight hard for it in the city of Toronto. It's not just kids either. I mean, it's also seniors. You think Mm -hmm. about your parents who might want to age in place. You think about folks in different neighborhoods in Toronto who want to stay there. And when they look to downsize out of their, you know, bigger single detached house, there's not a lot of options, whether that's rental apartments or picking up a condo, those options are not there. So we need to look at the entire housing continuum. We need to take care of uh, the, the impacts associated with renting. We need to make sure that we have a strong, steady supply of new units coming onto the market. 
And we need to realign our process to, to help achieve those outcomes. And what I mean by that is mm. the time and the cost that it takes to develop housing options here in the city of Toronto. We need to look at that. And some of the things on the council agenda today are, mm. in fact, addressing that piece of affordability and making sure we have more supply in Toronto. I got about 90 seconds for cats. It may not come up today. I I think that's the one that people are going to tune in online for. Not that it's the most critical issue facing the city, but people are talking about it. And they have been for a couple of weeks. Cats on leashes. I know the mayor says he's opposed to this bylaw amendment, which would ban cats from going outside without a leash. Where do you stand on it? Well, let me tell you, I go door knocking pretty much every Friday, even outside of elections, you know, pandemic restrictions aside, I go door knocking every Friday and I've never had anybody come up to me and say, you know what, we need cats on leashes. Uh, We got a lot of big challenges in the city. We were just talking about the housing and affordability Mm -hmm. crisis. Uh, We do not have a cat on leashes crisis. I think this uh, needed to be thought through a little bit uh, more. It was an amendment that was brought on the floor of committee. I suspect uh, we're going to see that struck from the books and uh, we're probably not going to require uh, cats to be on leashes outdoors here in the Toronto. We've just got bigger, more important things to worry about. So you don't think it'll have enough support? Uh, I know Shelly Carroll put it forward. There won't be enough support to pass it then. I think we're probably going to change that. You know, spoiler alert for those uh, yeah. listeners who are going to be tuning in. But uh, again, there there's so many bylaws that we have enough challenges enforcing anyways. I think this one was a solution searching for a problem. And uh, again, we got bigger, more important things to worry about. Well, I, I agree with you there. You're going to lose the bird vote. I'm just telling you, there's a lot of birds that listen. <laughs> you're, you know, I can't. You, it's a risk that you're willing to take clearly for the fall. But there's a lot of. A lot of cardinals, a lot of sparrows that uh, that are you know, concerned well, by this. You know what, Greg? I think I, think I already lost the bird vote uh, <laughs> with the disc golf. So, you know, again, I just have to cut yes. my losses there. And they hate so. jazz. They really, I don't know why, but I don't think birds enjoy the uh, like, a, like a saxophone. I don't think they're into the woodwind instruments. Um, hey, listen, if the birds want to take us over, uh, the, the, like, the, like Hitchcock, uh, the movie, they can eventually do it. But they haven't chosen to do it yet. This might This might turn the tide. That's right. That's right, Greg. Brad, thanks so much. Uh, greatly appreciate our chats, and uh, thanks very much for the time today. Enjoy your Tuesday. We'll see you soon. Thanks, do, buddy. Do my best. Brad Bradford uh, joining us, uh, Ward 19 counselor. We've got Dave Bradley with our 4 for 4 quiz. Today, one of the top stories is that fully vaccinated travelers entering Canada from international destinations once again subjected to random testing as of today. So, decided that uh, today's quiz is going to be fun facts about flight travel. Oh, thank so, God. Oh. I thought it was going to be about COVID. T- I thought we were all getting <laughs> a random COVID test <laughs> during the quiz. Positive, <laughs> negative. How negative, how positive. Many, how many times do you have to spin the swab in your nose. Uh, Gord, stay away from my nostrils. uh, (laughs) We get close enough to each other in the morning. Okay. First question. Yeah. (laughs) True or false? You lose about a third of your taste buds during flight. Is that true or false? Sheba? A third of your taste buds? I think that's false. Okay. Greg? No. When I have one of those, you know, Modelo beers and I know that the hit just hits the back of your throat. No, no way. No way that happens. All right. Gord? I believe it's true. Gord is right. About a third of your taste buds are numbed at altitude, which is why all those snack boxes just taste okay. It also has the effect of enhancing uh, savory flavors like tomato juice. Oh, so a small bag of like six pretzels tastes more dry than if I'm on a flight, if I'm in seat 13A, than if I'm on my couch. Yeah. That's amazing. It is, mm. isn't it? So you switch from the Modelo to a Caesar. And yeah, there you go. You'll be in flavor heaven. <laughs> yeah. Beer before liquor, never quicker. That's, that's the phrase. <laughs> that's true. I think. It, no, liquor yeah. before beer, never fear. Is that it? Yeah, mine was always looking before beer, you're in the clear. Oh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I'm not clearing you for anything, uh, if that's the case. Uh, next question is a multiple choice question. Because of the dry air being circulated in a plane, you all know how you feel after you get out of a plane, your body loses how many ounces of water for every hour you're in the air? Is it four ounces, eight ounces, or 12 ounces? Greg? Twelve. All right, Gord? Eight. All right, Sheba? Eight. It is eight, actually. Oh. That dry air... Saps the water from your body to the tune of about eight ounces an hour, which, if you do the math, that's about a two-liter bottle during a 10-hour long-haul flight. So you better get that water before you get on board. Next question is another multiple choice. What day was the busiest day in aviation history? Was it December 20th, 2018, 
February 18th, 2019, Oof. or was it July 25th, 2019? Gord. Ooh. December 20th, February 18th, or July 25th, 2018, and two 2019s. Uh, let's go with um, the middle one. February 18th? Yes, February 18th. All right. Greg? I think it's the February date also. I, I'm shocked it's not like a U.S. Thanksgiving date, but yeah. not everybody's. That's globally. So let's go February. Okay. And Sheba? Oh, I'm going to say, I don't think it's going to be Christmas Day. So I'm going to say July. July 25th. You are right. Pre-pandemic, obviously. Uh, Real-time air traffic tracking service, Flight Trader 24 says, about 230,000 flights recorded on that day. Everything from cargo planes to commercial, uh, commercial passenger jets, helicopters, private jets, all of that. On average, a busy day is about 110,000 planes. Although... One report I checked this morning suggested August 12th of this year could even beat that mark. Wow. I don't know why, but apparently just based on the seats available. I I just assume it was one of the two days in the John Hughes movie. Either the day they forgot Kevin McAllister in Home Alone (laughs) or the day uh, Del Griffith is traveling and runs into the Steve Martin character, whatever his name was. Neil Page. (laughs) Wow. Neil Page yeah. at Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's one of those two days. Yeah, see, but that's Thanksgiving, be. right? I think so. Oh, yeah, that would have been. Yeah. Yeah. Final question is multiple choice. If you're a germaphobe, where is the dirtiest place on a plane? Is it the seatbelt <laughs> buckle, the tray table, or the toilet? Sheba. Seatbelt buckle. Toilet's too, toilet's too easy. <laughs> Uh, and I, I refuse to use the bathroom on a plane, by the way. Like, I don't drink any water before I get on. I'm, not, I'm completely dehydrated, I must be, because I can't use that bathroom. Uh, but I'm going to actually say it's the seatbelt. The seatbelt? Okay. Greg? I I want Can I challenge and get more? I'm, I'm 0 for 3 so far. I'm going <laughs> to challenge that you never use an airplane bathroom. Oh, no, no. I have. Like, when I, in my younger years, but like in the last, I'd say, I'm not kidding, the last 15 years... Did you and have I, a bad incident with wow. with no? I just think or? it's gross. Like first, I have an issue with with using public bathrooms, but it, you know, you gotta go, you gotta go. I get but weird. an airplane, I plan it. Like I do not drink oh. anything beforehand. I don't drink anything. Oh. Like to, and only it's towards oh. the end of the flight, and then I need to use that bathroom as soon as we land. I okay. get worried I'm going to get sucked out when I flush. <laughs> that's, that's another story. I never have that worry. <laughs> and then there's like the Mile High Club. and there's No, I just can't. Keep yeah, me, that, keep me I, away from the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, I don't know. I think I think public bathrooms, I think our chorus bathroom here is beautiful, Gordon. You and, okay. I, you and yeah. I and Dave are going yes. there three or four random times a morning <laughs> with yep. all the coffee we drink. Yeah, That's right. It's, totally. it's, it's, it's a nicer place than most pubs. It's cleaner than most bars. It is clean, though. Chorus bathroom is really clean. Really yes. is. Okay, so let's get back to what's I not know, clean. I know. I need to So, Sheba, you said? Uh, Seatbelt. Seatbelt buckle. Okay. I think Greg? I think sometimes the answer is the most obvious one. I think it's the toilet. I think okay. it's the toilet. Okay. Gordon? Uh, I'm going to go with the seatbelt as well. I don't think they <laughs> clean those at all. None of you got it right. It was the <gasps> tray table. That no. little knob you have to turn oh, the knob. to lower your tray table. Oh, nasty. According to one study, tray tables eight times dirtier than the flush button on the average plane oh. toilet. Wow. So, Sheba, you need to you need to oh, like, go to the bathroom too, more yeah. and eat less no, uh, and drink wipes. less on the fl- and don't put a, don't put your book or your tablet on the tray table. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna wipe it down and bringing wipes. That's what I'm gonna do. There you go. Has to happen. Seven for great Dave. Great quiz. Makes us all. It makes us all want to get on an airplane later this afternoon. I feel. Devell Morrison's a broker with Bosley Real Estate Limited and joins us now. It's great to have you on. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. The landlord tenant thing. We were talking about inflation. We're gonna get you know big numbers tomorrow. The the bank rate went up last week. So look, it's got people that have mortgages, people that have car payments really stressed. But you know what? Like for people who rent, and I kind of forget what that is like for renting. You just kind of shrug your shoulders in a city like Toronto, given our lack of vacancy, and you're like, I have to pay whatever it is to pay. But I know, and I'm sure you know this too. There's people who are going to start university. There's people who get a first job and they're starting out in in this economy. And downtown, it's an awfully expensive, tough place to live for, in essence, what are still kids at this particular point in time. Yeah, it is. Absolutely. I mean, obviously my side is different because not only am I I an agent, but I'm also a landlord as well, too. Mm -hmm. But I'd like to think of myself as a nice landlord. My tenants would actually write me reference letters on that nice. (laughs) <laughs> and and it's, it's tricky, too, because costs have gone up for you as a landlord. And I, I thought about that even during COVID. 
And it felt like there was a lot of, um, you know, tenant on landlord uh, media stories, landlord on tenant media stories. But you've got expenses, you've got mortgages. And uh, and and we, we, like I always say, it, we want to find happy mediums that make it work. And it sounds like you are a landlord that does that. But but not everyone does. So we do need rules and regulations. We do need rules and regulations, but, you know, sometimes when the government gets involved, like this current platform that they're talking about today, wanting to freeze rents um, indefinitely, you know, regardless of whether the tenant moves in or out, you know, they're not taking into account, you know, someone is actually paying for that building. So, you know, a landlord's got mortgage payments, they've got repairs, they've got utilities in some Mm -hmm. cases, they've got property taxes, and none of those things are freezing. So if we're not talking about freezing all of those other things, why are we even talking about freezing rents? And, you know, the interesting thing about a lot of landlords is that they actually do repairs on their properties, unlike the city of Toronto. If we look at the Toronto Corporation Housing Corporation, the Toronto Community Housing Corporation, the TCHC, and there's been a lot of recent stories about such disrepair that their buildings are in, that their tenants are forced to leave because the city hasn't maintained any kind of livable standards for people. So why are, you know, private landlords actually are making more livable circumstances for tenants than the city of Toronto is? Well, Devel, they've got skin in the game and they can't just write it off. Like they they have to make those payments. That's That may be their investment. That may be something owning a, a rental property or two, maybe something that they're planning on uh, retiring on. They may have no pension. They may have no inheritance. And, and so they need to maintain what you worry about with cities. I'm sure you've traveled enough. I lived in Detroit for 10 years. I've seen vacant buildings. Buildings. I've seen buildings not kept up properly, and I'm—I don't know that we're we're headed in that direction. But you make the great point. We've got more of those buildings falling apart than we sure did five, ten years ago. Absolutely, and unfortunately, it seems like it's the the TCHC that's doing that. I mean, they actually have houses that are abandoned because they're in such disrepair. They can't mm-hmm. put people living in them. And you know, at the end of the day, we all have to recognize we have an affordable housing crisis. Absolutely. But the question is, is whose problem is that to fix? Should that be the problem of private private individuals or should that be a government problem? I'm going to bet that it should be a government problem and don't make it the, you know, the problem of private individuals. If you freeze rents for landlords, you're going to get landlords getting out of the landlording business. And over the last few years, the only people who've been providing rental housing is actually private landlords. It's not the city of Toronto. So I think they, they would be wise to remind that, remind themselves of that because they don't want the musical chairs of life for mm-hmm. tenants to be even worse when landlords decide to get out of the business. Devel Morrison is our guest. She's a, a broker with Bosley Real Estate Limited on Toronto today on 640 Toronto. When, when COVID hits, what's the toughest struggle in terms of being a landlord and when did when did the waves just sort of stop crashing against the shore in essence with what you had to do when when the tenant says hey i'm i'm not i'm not working i'm i'm stuck at home now i'm waiting for the serb like what like what were the biggest struggles for you as a landlord so march i would say march and april 2020 that was tricky because mm-hmm. yes you know the government was saying hey your mortgage is going to be forgiven for a month But what they failed to say was that's only on your principal residence. That didn't apply to landlords. So the problem is is that tenants started thinking, hey, my landlord doesn't have to pay their rent, pay their mortgage rather. And so they said, oh, well, then I shouldn't have to pay my rent. But that wasn't necessarily the case. And yes, of course, there were some tenants that they were out of work. They couldn't pay. But there was also some tenants that were getting served so they could pay. So, you know, you really had to kind of balance those factors out. But it was a big concern when I saw that there was this big social media uprising about tenants saying that they weren't going to pay, you know, rent to their landlords. And I, you know, most of my tenants did pay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one who was sort of threatening not to pay. And we were like, we've got mortgage payments. So it's not like anybody's getting a free ride here. I mean, tell those banks with all their profits not to take the mortgage payments. Yeah, there you have it. Uh, and it's one of those scenarios too, Devella, I, I look and I think about, um, again, the investment that you, that you put in, even with with people who aren't renters, but let's just say are homeowners, um, they they know that they're going to ride waves periodically. You're going to ride waves with what your house is worth. You're going to ride waves with the RRSP market. But but what happened in March and April and May of 2020 just felt so uncertain. Look at stocks; people were selling like mad to get out, and then later regretting it six months later. Like 
real estate's no different than those other those other investments. You've you've got to ride things out and 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 let it crest. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I always go back to uh, 2008 when the stock market crashed, right? Mm -hmm. And people are pulling their money out because the stock market crashed. But those people who actually just kept their money in the market, it stayed in the market. And over time, they made more than prior to that 2008 crash. So I would say the exact same thing with real estate. You just hold on. You know, you hold on over time. And if you look 10 years, 20, 30 years out, you're going to be better off for it. So I think the idea is patience here, right? Whether it's the stock market or the real estate market, you don't just bail when things go sideways. So I'll ask you about the vacancy rate. Last thing on the real estate front, uh, Devella, is I'm real curious with so many, there seems to be almost disincentives to stay in the city. The cost, you can work from home, you can have a bigger backyard, all that stuff. And these are things that you hear and see on the front lines. But for renting, we have a really low vacancy rate. Is that about immigration? Is that about people just saying, no, I need to be in the city? What do you think it is? That's everything. I mean, the city's where the life is. Mm -hmm. like, come on. I mean, people can talk all they want about those rural areas, but I'm going to bet you that some of those people that moved out of the city last year, once they suffered through a winter in that rural area, <laughs> they're coming right back to the city, right? There's nothing to do in some of these small towns. Like, I think people don't really understand that. The thing about Toronto is you can walk out your door, you can go to a movie theater, you can go to a restaurant, you can go to a bar, like everything's here. And I think that people discount the life that's in the city. It feels great. It feels vibrant. So I think for a lot of the young people, everyone's coming back to the office. So they need to be in the city. Absolutely. Well, I think you nailed it. That was really tough even a year ago at this time. I think the Blue Jays came back end of the month. I don't think concerts were really happening until the fall, maybe a few outdoor shows. But can you imagine you're paying rent in the city of Toronto? You are you are in the, the one of the most vibrant cosmopolitan cities on the planet. And we were the most locked down city on the planet for lack of stuff to do. You're seeing things open in Chicago and L.A. and London, England. You're like, where's where's our fun? Where to where to go? You don't even have restaurants open. It was so frustrating. Absolutely. But you know what? I think it's going to make us all appreciate the mm -hmm. fun that we have that much more. Right. Like, I think we all took it for granted. And now that little pause that we had over the last couple of years, we're like, everybody's out. Let's do this. Right. Yeah. I love that enthusiasm. What'd you make of the story yesterday? I saw the video of um, of this female carjacker uh, take a car, turn it around on the Gardner Expressway at a busy time. It's raining. So naturally, people forget how to drive and it was busy and it was a Monday. I, I, I just couldn't believe the story. But then I looked it up and I thought it's. I guess it feels unusual. 3% of carjackers are women, but it <laughs> I, that was our, our entire show's first reaction. Wait a minute, a woman did this? Because we've had carjacking stories all summer and spring. Yeah, but you know, I think the challenge with that story is, is you have this good Samaritan, this 70-year-old woman who was stopping to help a cyclist that flagged her down. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, no one's now going to stop and help anybody. Because this this poor what good Samaritan, she got burned for stopping to help somebody. So I think that's what really stuck with me about that story. But yes, you're right. The carjacking thing is a little bit weird that a woman was doing it. But man, we've got a big car theft problem in the city. Whether it's cars being stolen out of driveways or cars being jacked. I mean, it, it's it's crazy. I mean, I guess we're becoming that big city with big city problems. But I'm like, I kind of want to go back to before where cars weren't being stolen all the time. I know we used to, I think, and I can't tell, I can't tell if it's just um, a post COVID era we're living in where we used to be, we used to brag about a lot more. We, I, look at our healthcare. Well, there's a lot to say about socialized healthcare, but there's a lot to say about, about our bad waiting times and our emergency rooms and our exhausted healthcare workers. And then as you point out, we used to go, well, LA, they shoot at each other in LA on the freeway and they might steal your car in this American city. And I'm like, that stuff's starting to happen a lot more here than 10, 15 years ago, period. Yeah. And to me, like, that's sad, right? Like, I don't want my city where, you know, when I look on some of the Facebook groups in my neighborhood, everyone's talking about their car being stolen out of the driveway. And they've got the video, you know, mm -hmm. uh, footage to prove it and show what happened. And, you know, you, you, there's certain brands of cars now that, you know, that's going to get stolen. Don't buy that brand. And the, the thieves seem to move from one brand to the next brand to the next brand. It's kind of scary. It's kind of scary. Yeah. And, and now we're being told, you know, don't keep your keys at the front of your house by your front door. Move them back inside the house so the people stealing your cars can't get them. 
Oh, well, uh, our city has uh, our city is not perfect. We're far from perfect. But I can't wait to see you, uh, you know, sell a beautiful home in a beautiful neighborhood to a couple that says you know, what we can't wait to do here. We're so excited to move in is walk our cats and leashes up and down the street. Um, <laughs> what on earth? I, I'm we talked We had city councilor Brad Bradford on. He's like, spoiler alert. This is not going to get where you think it's going to get. It's not going to become legislation. Um, now I, I wouldn't let my cat outside if I lived downtown Toronto and we have a big chubby indoor cat right now that I wouldn't let outside in, out in the suburbs because of foxes and coyotes and stuff. So I didn't, I don't know how this got the attention it's got, but everyone does talk about it. It's crazy to me. And so, you know, I was doing a little bit of research and they were saying that they're saying that they're blaming cats for killing a lot of birds. And so they're saying that because the cats are killing the birds, we need to put the cats on leashes. But there's a whole ecosystem that happens outside. A lot of those cats are also killing the mice and the rats that we have in the city. Thank so, you. Yeah, And chasing those you, ugly possums away. I hate those things. Exactly. And so I'm like, if you put the cats on leashes, you're now going to have another problem. You're going to have more mice and rats out there. And, you know, this is sort of that typical problem of with government. Don't get involved. You're going to mess everything up by getting involved. And then my other thought is like, um, I'm sorry, do we have a gun problem in the city? We just talked about carjackings. Mm-hmm. We have a homeless problem. Why in the world are we even talking about cats on leashes? Stop it. Thanks again for listening to Toronto Today. Back with a live show tomorrow as this heat wave continues and maybe more violent weather on Wednesday as well. We'll keep you posted all morning long on that and get you where you need to go and let you know what you need to know also at the same time. You can hear us on the Radio Player Canada app or visit us at 640toronto.com.